Well, hey, Crosspoint, we are so excited about the Storyteller series this summer where we're going to be looking at the parables, the stories that Jesus told. We're going to talk about how they interact with our stories and with our lives today. And so in addition to the teaching every single Sunday, on Wednesdays, we're going to be releasing a Storytellers podcast. It's going to take a deeper dive into the parables of Jesus. And we're going to talk about some real stories from people within our Crosspoint community. And I believe this is going to encourage you and help you in your faith journey. But today... We're in for a treat because we get to hear from Pastor Mike Kelsey. Now, Mike is a friend of mine who lives in the Washington, D.C. area with his wife and his three kids. And, and after uh, Rhea and I spent some time with Mike and Ashley, his wife, we were, uh, we were like, we would love to have them come and speak this summer. Uh, they've been on staff at McLean Bible Church for over 13 years. And, uh, and he's, he currently serves as campus pastor and a teaching pastor. And Mike has a, just has a heart for Jesus and, and a passionate passion about, uh, about engaging cultural issues um, in order to reach um, the next generation. And, uh, and he's, uh, he's a gifted communicator. And I believe that today God has a word for you. So I wanna encourage you to open up your hearts and if you would, put your hands together and let's welcome Mike Kelsey to Crosspoint. Cross Point. What's up? How's everybody doing? We good? That was weak. How's everybody doing? You don't know me. I don't know you. We're going to get to know each other. Uh, it's good to be together today. I want to give a shout out uh, to those of you watching online and uh, at different locations here in the Nashville area. It's a joy uh, to be uh, together. Uh, I'm very, very thankful for the ministry of your church. And uh, in particular, I'm thankful for uh, Pastor Kevin and Ree and just the blessing that they have been not just to this local church family, but honestly from this local church family all, all over the country. Um, your reputation, Crosspoint, uh, it, it precedes you. And I'm thankful for, uh, for God. My Uber driver getting here this morning went to Crosspoint, and God changed his life uh, through this church. So it's a joy. Also, I want to shout out uh, my good friend Annie Downs, the Oprah of Christianity, and uh, <laughs> really thankful for her friendship. And uh, a couple other folks I know here at the church, uh, Christoph and McKenna Hart, it's good to see y'all. Uh, it's a joy uh, to be here. Now, we're going to be in Mark 2. We're in this series, Storytellers, and we're walking through different parables of Jesus. And so meet me in Mark 2 if you have your Bible. If you don't have a Bible uh, with you, we'll have verses up on the screen. But let me tell you where this message is going to land. At the end of this message, I'm going to give you, wherever you are, here, any locations, watching online, I'm going to give you an opportunity to trade your life for the life that Jesus is inviting you to live. And what I want to do is I want to talk about what many of us tend to think following Jesus looks like, or at least I thought following Jesus looked like this when I first started, and maybe you resonate with this. So imagine like a pie chart, right? It, it kind of is like this portfolio of how you're investing your life. And there's different pieces of your portfolio. So you got your work life where you're investing in your career. You got your social life. Some of y'all be out in the streets, right? You got your social life, right? You got your financial life. You have your, your leisure or uh, uh, physical exercise life. I don't, but some of you do, right? So you have these different aspects of your life and they fit into this kind of portfolio that you're building of what you think the good life is like. And here's what begins to happen. At some point, we begin to realize something's missing. And we begin to wonder, and maybe this is why you're here or watching this right now, we begin to wonder, is Jesus the missing piece? 
in the portfolio of the life that I've been building for myself. Maybe it's because you hear a sermon or you have a friend who's a Christian or maybe you grew up in church and you walked away for for a while and you begin to wonder, is Jesus that missing piece that'll perfectly round out this portfolio of the good life? And we do that on a personal level where we try to add Jesus to fit into or fulfill our expectations and plans for the life that we design for ourselves. We do this on a personal level. But this is also how Jesus gets added into different religions. So you think about different tribal or ancestral religions where they believe that everything in the universe is controlled by uh, spiritual forces. And you gotta appease those spirits. And so when they hear about Christianity, then they just see Jesus as like a rival spirit. Jesus is like a top draft pick. Like you add Jesus to your pantheon of other spiritual forces or gods. He just gets added in. Other religions will add Jesus as just a moral teacher or a special prophet. Some of us will add Jesus as our political mascot. Jesus begins to kind of represent our own personal or cultural values. And even as Christians, right, we can, we can try to cram Jesus into our own personal expectations and preferences and plans. And so Jesus kind of becomes a self-help coach. His role in our life is to give us some tips on how to kind of live a better version of the life that we've decided to live. And so really through Jesus is how we manifest, right, the life that we've designed for ourselves. Here's the problem. All of those versions of Jesus have some seed of truth in them because Jesus is powerful, because Jesus does come to serve and to bring blessing. But none of those versions of Jesus capture who Jesus actually revealed himself to be. Listen, you cannot fit Jesus into your pre-existing expectations or your predetermined plans. Why? Because he's not a missing piece. He is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. And so listen, here's the takeaway up top. This is what I want us to meditate on together. Here's the point. You cannot experience what Jesus wants you to experience by just adding him to the life you've already decided to live. You can't experience the life that he wants you to experience, that he's inviting you to experience by just adding him to the life that you've already decided to live. And so I wanna invite you, I think God is inviting you and all of us in different ways to trade our life for the life that he has for us. So we're gonna read about this in Mark chapter two, verses 18 to 20. Can we do that? We've already worked on this together. Can we do that? Yeah, let's, let's, let's dive in together. Mark chapter 2, uh, we're going to pick up in uh, verse 18. We'll read it together, we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll dive in. This is what it says. It says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days are coming, or the days will come, when the bridegroom is taken away from them, 
and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine, here it is, new wine is for fresh wineskins. Why don't we just take a moment to pray, and I wanna invite you to do this. I'm gonna pray for us, but I'm gonna give you just a second to just pray this simple prayer. Even if you're not sure you believe all of this, just pray, God, if you're real, would you speak to me personally today? Just take a moment between you and the Lord to ask him to speak to your heart. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear from you. God, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we believe that this word has been inspired by your spirit and that none of your words go out and return void. And so God, would you not only speak to our hearts, but would you work in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're new to the Bible, let me, let me give you a little bit of context so you understand what's, what's happening here. In ancient Israel at this time, there's these different groups, these different factions, and we don't have time to dive into all of it, but these different factions were kind of driven by different convictions, different traditions, and two of them are mentioned here in Mark chapter two. So you got the Pharisees, which is like this small fraternity of very fundamentalist Jewish leaders, very serious about purity, very serious about obeying God's law to the point where they added to God's law. Then you have the disciples of John the Baptist who are in many ways equally intense. And both of these groups practice fasting as a very strict discipline. Now, the Mosaic law, the old covenant law, only required fasting one time a year. That was for the Day of Atonement. But the Pharisees and the disciples of John, they fasted twice a week. They fasted every Monday and every Thursday. And the reason why they fasted was very simple. They were lamenting sin and suffering and they were longing for a savior. They were longing for God to send the promised Messiah who would rescue them from the oppression of the Roman Empire and would usher in the messianic kingdom of God. They're they're lamenting sin and suffering. They're longing for a savior. And so in their minds, anybody that was serious about God, anybody that was serious about God's law would, would be fasting as well. But if you read in context, just before the passage we read, verses 13 to 17, you see this picture that Jesus and his disciples are at a party. They're actually feasting with tax collectors and sinners. They're feasting and partying with people who have been disowned by the religious community. And so you follow the contrast here. The super religious people are fasting. Jesus and his disciples are feasting. And people are confused by this in verse 18 because they're wondering, wait, if Jesus is such a holy man, if he's such a well-respected Rabbi, why isn't he following proper protocol? Why isn't he fasting? And so they ask Jesus about it in verse 18, and they're basically asking, 
Jesus, why aren't you fitting into our cultural expectations? And if you're new to the Bible, one of the things you'll notice is that Jesus never answers the question directly. It's extraordinarily frustrating. Because <laughs> you'll ask Jesus a question and then he'll be like, look at the birds. <laughs> like, Jesus, I didn't ask about no birds. I don't wanna look at no birds. I'm not interested in birds. <clears throat> this is what Jesus does all over the Bible. <clears throat> and he does it again here. They're asking him about <clears throat> fasting and he responds with these three <clears throat> analogies. The parable of the wedding is about the life that Jesus wants for us. It's about the life that he came to announce and invite us into. And then the parables about clothing and wineskins are about what's required in order for us to experience that life. So Jesus says to them in verse 19, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they can't fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day. He's saying, think about a wedding. Think about a wedding. Now, our church back home is extremely diverse, but I grew up in the black church, not a predominantly black church, an all-black church. It was a 100% blackity-black. It was black everything, okay? That's my home church in D.C., okay? Now, I step into this very culturally diverse church and I had to get used to some new things. The first thing was the acoustic guitar. That wasn't a part of the genre of music that I grew up with. Second thing was a real benefit and a blessing. I got to attend and officiate now all these different weddings of people from all these different ethnic cultures. Now, how many of you here at locations online, feel free to raise your hand if you're in your apartment or by yourself, whatever. Uh, how many of you have ever been to a Nigerian wedding? Hands up. Okay, then you already know, right? Because Nigerians, it's different. It's different. I remember my first time going to a Nigerian wedding, I felt like my entire life up to that point had been utterly meaningless. I was like, <laughs> what have we been doing? What have I been doing? What did I have? I, I, got, I got married. Was it a wedding? I don't know. Because <laughs> look, at a Nigerian wedding, dog, like they do this thing called the money dance. And it's exactly what it sounds like. The couple is in the middle of the room and there are all, all the guests, family members, elders, aunties, uncles, grandmas, everybody. They are literally, y'all, they got not like singles. They have solid dollar bills. And they are throwing money at the couple. And it, somebody's full-time job is to pick the money up off the ground and hold it for you. We've been doing, your little DJ is really not that popping, right? Like, <laughs> I want a money dance. I got a chance to recently officiate the wedding of a Chinese couple. Ladies and gentlemen, listen. They served 10 courses. Not like tapas. Tapas are lies, deceit, <laughs> false advertising. That is not a meal, okay? Their first course was ribs. I was like, where do we even go from here? How do you, this is a festive occasion. So back to biblical context, this is what Jewish weddings were like. These were these extravagant, exuberant celebrations that typically lasted seven days. 
It was an occasion for joy and for gratitude and for celebration. So imagine, right, it would be weird for groomsmen to choose a wedding as a time to fast. Now, remember why John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. They're lamenting sin and suffering. They're longing for a Savior. And Jesus is saying, the reason my disciples aren't fasting right now is because the Savior has come. The one that they've been waiting for is right in front of their face. The coming of Jesus was the beginning of a brand new era of the kingdom of God, that God was in the process of fulfilling all of his promises through Jesus. He came to establish something new, and we call it the new covenant. This is the new wine. Like, it's, it's the promises of the new covenant. Jesus came to bring us a new intimacy with God, an unprecedented level of access to the presence of God, to this relationship with God. You may not have picked up on this if you're new to studying the Bible, but Jesus says something revolutionary in verse 19 when he compares himself to a bridegroom. To us, that just seems like a nice analogy, but in that context, it would have been blasphemy. And here's, here's why, in the Old Testament, the bridegroom metaphor was repeatedly used to describe God himself. Let me give you one example. Isaiah 54, verse 5 says, For your maker, your creator, is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. The creator has decided to begin a relationship with you, and he's like your husband. You see that connection? So listen, in Mark chapter 2, Jesus isn't just using a random analogy. Jesus is taking a description of God from the Old Testament, and he's saying, that's me. I'm the one that the ancient prophets have been talking about. Like, I'm the one that you've grown up learning about in synagogue. I'm the one that you've been looking for and longing for. I am what you have been waiting for your whole life. What you've been looking for is now right in front of you, offering you this new intimacy with God. And this is why it made sense for the disciples to be feasting with Jesus at this time, instead of fasting, to be rejoicing instead of mourning because God himself had come to them and he came for a reason, not just to reveal who God is or what God is like, but he came to fix the problem that separates you and I from God, the problem that disrupts the intimacy with God that we could enjoy, and that problem is our sin, that we have turned away from God, we have stiff-armed God's goodness and his wisdom and his authority, and we have chosen instead to live life our own way. And Jesus came to solve that problem, to fix that problem by dying on the cross for our sins, to pay the price that we owe for our sins so that we could be reconciled. He came to die, and he alludes to that in verse 20 when he says, the days will come when the bridegroom is, this is key, is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. That word taken away, it, in the original language, it means to be violently snatched away. 
And it's this picture, it's Jesus alluding to the fact that he was gonna be violently taken away, that after training his disciples for three years, he's gonna be betrayed, he's gonna be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's gonna be taken away to be mocked and to be beaten. He's gonna be taken away to be stripped publicly and to be humiliated. He's gonna be taken away to be tortured and to be crucified. The creator, the eternal son of God, allowing himself to be crucified by people he has made. And he's gonna do it for you and for me so that we could be reconciled and brought into an intimate relationship with God. And what this means is that God is not just powerful, but he's personal. That God has been pursuing you for your whole life, even when you and I have been rebelling and running away from him as fast as we could. He's been pursuing us. And he ultimately did it by giving his life for us. This is the good news of the gospel. And listen, your sense of intimacy with someone is a direct result of your sense of confidence in that relationship. Listen, what happens when you're in a relationship and you feel a way about that person, but you're not sure how they feel about you? Some of y'all are like, too soon, too soon. We'll pray about it. But it's very difficult for you to experience a continual sense of intimacy with somebody, with, with somebody when you don't know where you stand with them. And see, some of us struggle to experience intimacy with God. What I mean is a continual awareness that I am deeply loved by God in this moment in a way that provokes a worshipful response of love back to him. Like that kind of intimacy with God, some of us struggle to enjoy and experience that kind of intimacy with God because our relationship with God is built on the wrong foundation that we think is based on what we do for God. When God says, no, intimacy with me is based on what I have done for you, that Jesus came and he laid a new foundation for our relationship with God, and it is his work on our behalf. And we receive that work, and we live in that work, and we rejoice in that work, and we get to enjoy this intimate relationship with God through Jesus. He came to bring a new intimacy with God and a new power from God. Jesus didn't just come to coerce us into conformity. He didn't just come to bend our behavior into alignment with his will. No, Jesus came to set us free from the power and the slavery to sin and to transform us from the inside out. He came to change our hearts by the power of the Spirit. And you can read about this sometime in Ezekiel 36, the promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit in our hearts. See, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came to temporarily empower people for specific purposes. But in the New Covenant, the promise of the Spirit is that he will come to permanently indwell those who are in Christ. And this is good news because the Holy Spirit doesn't just change what we do, he changes what we want. And that's what freedom looks like. That when the power of the Holy Spirit 
actually comes into your life. I'm not talking about going through religious motions like I did growing up in church. I'm talking about that moment as a college student where the gospel became real to me and the glory of Jesus became apparent to me and the Holy Spirit unlocked something in my soul where now I began to see Jesus as worthy of worship and devotion and obedience and surrender. And the power of the Holy Spirit began to change me from the inside out so that now I want to follow him. I want to worship him. I want to obey him. I'm not sure I want to let everything yet go yet, but I want to because I want to honor him and I want to live in intimacy with him. And I'm trusting his help and his power to grow and to change and to be transformed. Some of us, we need that power, not just in us, but that power through us that enables us to live for his purposes in the ways that he's designed us to live. Then he came to bring us a new future, a new future with God. The disciples were getting a foretaste of that future, being with Jesus at that time. But remember, he's going to be taken away. So this this wasn't the wedding ceremony yet. This was like wedding planning. Right, when you as a couple, you go and you're planning your wedding and you get to taste different dishes and foods and stuff that you're gonna get to enjoy in the wedding ceremony. Now, pause, that's probably gonna be your first time of major conflict in your relationship. You're gonna want steaks, you're gonna want salmon, right? You'll work it out, right? But you get a little foretaste of what you're gonna get to fully experience in the wedding ceremony. This is what Jesus' ministry is, that the disciples get these little previews of the kingdom of God, the fullness of the kingdom of God, that in his healing, Jesus is giving them a preview of a world where there is no more sickness. And as he casts out demons, he's giving them a preview of a world where evil no more reigns and sin no more has a foothold and Satan is defeated. He's given them these previews, this foretaste of the fullness of the kingdom that they have to look forward to. We ultimately see this fulfilled in this revelation that John has, where John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is when Jesus actually comes back. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw, he says, the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, Prepared, he's talking about the people of God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God now is with man. There's no more separation. We are now in the physical presence of God, perfect. No more doubts, no more questions, no more unfulfilled longing. We are now in the perfect, full, physical presence of God. And he says, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And I love this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And I don't think that just means the tears that they're crying in that moment. I think he means he will wipe away every tear from their eyes that they have ever cried. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Jesus came to establish something new in the world and in your life. 
This is what he comes to bring. The picture of this wedding feast, this marriage, this intimate relationship with the God who created you and in Jesus has offered salvation and redemption. This is what he presents to you and to me. The question though then is, what is required for us to actually experience that? Because some of you have sensed God stirring. Some of you have sensed that there's more. And I think what we're getting ready to see here as we land is maybe what has been missing in our approach that hinders us from experiencing all that Jesus has for us. And I've already alluded to it. These two parables he gives, verse 21, he says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. We understand this. You got old clothes, you wash it, it shrinks. I'm told at a certain quality of clothing that doesn't happen, but the way my budget is set up, I gotta be careful with these t-shirts, right? You wash it, it shrinks. Now, if you take clothes that are shrunk and you, you, there's a tear and you add a patch that is not pre-shrunk, what happens when you wash it? Now that patch shrinks and it pulls at the seams and it makes the tear worse. Jesus is saying the old covenant was never designed to contain God's new covenant work. It won't fit. He's saying the same thing in this wineskin parable in verse 22. He says, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. You see, wineskins were bottles that were literally made out of animal skin. And what you would do is during the fermentation process, they would store wine in these wineskins. And you wanted soft, flexible, fresh wineskins so that as the wine bubbles and expands and does what it does, that the wineskin can flex with it. But if you use old wineskins, dry, brittle, inflexible wineskins, what happens as that wine ferments? It's like too much pressure building up in a soda can. It's gonna burst the wineskins. Jesus is saying you can't fit something new into something old that was never designed for it. Some of y'all are like, this is why I don't read the Bible, because wineskins, like what are you talking about? I don't be patching my clothes, like what's happening? Let me, as we land, to drive this point home, let me upgrade this illustration to 2023. I was thinking about our, our cultural journey of cell phones. And let's take it all the way back to the beginning. Now, some of y'all, Gen Z, you don't know who that is. So just ask the person to your right or to, or to your left. But that phone right there, I don't know how that was ever classified a mobile device. This is before my time, but like, did you carry that in a backpack? Like, how did that work? How did you charge that? I don't understand. We upgraded a little bit. Anybody remember this one? Anybody had this? The brick. The brick. Tossed this from the Eiffel Tower. No problem. Not gonna break, right? My favorite of all, remember these? Had every version. I don't know why I had a Blackberry as a college student. I didn't have a business. Didn't have anything. I didn't need it. It was a flex for no reason, right? I remember that, but this one was my favorite because this is one I remember my dad having as I grew up. This Motorola right here, legend. You can't see it, it had an antenna. 
She had to pull up. Gen Z, Google antenna, okay, right? I want you to look at, you see that screen? You're like, what screen? Exactly. You can't even see the screen. You can't text on that. You ain't on TikTok on that. If you want to experience the type of modern technology that we have today, you cannot do it on a device that was never designed for it. You can try to get a software upgrade. You can just try to update what you already have on there. But you can't do 5G. You can't do wherever the metaverse is going. You can't enjoy any of the benefits of modern technology unless you are willing to trade in your old device for something new. Here's Jesus' point. Jesus comes to you and he comes to me. And please, I've been praying for you all week. We've been praying for you in the back. And it is not coincidence that you are sitting here or sitting there watching or listening to this message. Hear me and hear God through his word that God knows you and he sees you and he knows everything about you. He knows all the reasons you don't deserve to have a relationship with him. And yet he has pursued you up to this moment that you are breathing today because he loves you. And he has this life that he's designed for you, abundant life, eternal life. He has more for you than you could ask for or imagine for yourself. But you've been thinking that you can live and enjoy and experience that life and still hold on to the life that you've already decided for yourself. And you think you can just download Jesus and just fit Jesus into this life that you've already designed. Jesus says to you with love and with tenderness in his eyes, not to condemn you, but to invite you. He says, you can't do it. Because I'm not just a missing piece. I'm the king of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. I'm the lover of your soul. And I've offered my life not to upgrade your life, but to give you new life, to invite you into new life. So this is gonna land on us in different ways. Like for some of us, man, it was so heavy on my heart, just praying, just since God saying to me, today I'm going after the one. Like there are some of you here, you've been on the fence. Your lifestyle in many ways, or at least what's going on in your heart has been so far from what you know about God. And today is that line in the sand where you say, I will surrender and trade in my life, Jesus, for the life that you have for me. I want put all my weight on your death, Jesus, and your resurrection as a sacrifice for my sin. And I want you to lead my life. That is the moment for some of you. 
to make a decision for the first time or make a decision for the first time in a long time. To have Jesus be your savior and to be your king. For others of you, it's some area of your life that you have been clinging to. As I was praying, I was just thinking, maybe there's some of you, you've even been praying for something in your life. And one of the reasons you don't have clarity yet is because you're still not fully surrendered to what God's answer will be. And the way that you spend your money in your relationships, in your marriage or your desire for marriage, in your ambitions, in your career path. Does Jesus have authority to redirect you? Can he change your plans? For some of you, it's in your pain, your trauma, the suffering that you've had to endure, the disappointments that have taken the wind out of you. And it's caused you to show up to church or maybe kind of go through the motions. But if you're honest, there's low-key anger and resentment and there's an area of your life that you would say, I'll go through the motions, but I'm not quite willing to give you this because where were you? And how could you? And why didn't you? And Jesus says, listen, I have a solution and I have purpose for that pain. But you cannot experience it until you're willing to give it to me, like fully give it to me. Like allow me to give you perspective. Allow me to remind you and maybe even persuade you that I never left you nor have I forsaken you. And I know you can't figure out how I was there when that happened. But would you just let me take you on the journey? Listen, you cannot experience what Jesus wants you to experience by just trying to add him to the life that you've already decided to live. You have to surrender. That's the invitation. And I want to lead us to pray for that. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together in just a moment. We're going to take the bread and the cup that represents the sacrifice of Jesus that covers our sin. But I want us to prepare for that in just a few moments, just by taking some time to reflect. Maybe you need to confess areas that you've been clinging to your life instead of surrendering to and receiving the life that Jesus has for you. Maybe you wanna make a decision for the first time to begin a relationship with God through Jesus. Maybe you just need to ask for his help. Just say, Lord, I, I want this new wine. I want this newness. I want you to do it in me. I want you to bring it out of me. I want you to produce it through me. Maybe you just say, God, I want that. I want to lead us to pray that, and then I want us to take some time to reflect as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for speaking to us through your word. I thank you for the work that you're doing in people's hearts right now. Would you continue to draw 
us into deeper intimacy with you. Would you continue, God, to change us and fill us and use us by the power of your spirit, God? And would you help us to live in light of the future that you have prepared for us? God, we want you. We want more of you. We want our friends and our neighbors and the nations to experience this new work that you've established in Jesus, God. And so we yield and we surrender our lives to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Lord, I trust you, I don't need 